everyone, it's uh, Dave Barnett from davidcbarnett.com, the YouTube channel, iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud podcast where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about managing businesses and mindset and headspace and clearing your head of some of the clutter that helps make poor decisions happen. Uh, I'm joined today with author uh, Nick Egan, uh, who's just written uh, a great new book that I took the time to read and I really enjoyed it. It was called Shift, The Art of Transforming Limitations. And Nick, you come from this from, from you come to this from a pretty interesting background um, because not only do you come from this from sort of a, a business background, but there's a lot of your personal Buddhist practice and study that has gone into creating this book. And I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your story and what brought you to the point where you were able to conceive this kind of uh, this kind of book to share with others. Yeah, thanks, David. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, well, it's interesting. I have to go back to childhood. Um, I come from a family of successful real estate entrepreneurs. And so I saw kind of the grind that went into um, you know, stuffing envelopes. There's no internet at that time. And, and just the work that, you know, it wasn't a nine to five job. It's an all day, every day kind of job, um, at least in the beginning. And so I was really uh, affected by that. And so that, that sort of sense of entrepreneurship I think stuck with me throughout well, really up until even now. Um, but as a young kid, I was really interested in kind of the workings of the mind. And so I, I ended up studying psychology for my undergrad. And I came away a little bit disillusioned because I was interested in helping people flourish instead of like healing people that had psychological wounds. Um, so from that, I kind of pivoted to what I'd always, always been interested in, which was Asian philosophy and did a master's and PhD. And in that time, ended up spending quite a bit of time in Asia. Um, Sitting in a monastery and finished my PhD, and then went on to lead these expeditions through uh, essentially the Himalayas, um, Tibet, Nepal, northern India, sometimes Mongolia. Um, and I found that those it really affected me understanding the philosophy and then becoming a practitioner myself um, using what now I think gets termed mindfulness. Although we can talk about why I don't always like that term, uh, mindfulness and meditation, and just broadly like technology of the mind. And so later when I came to coaching, um, it really felt like I was coming home because it really, coaching really is to therapy. I think what I was saying earlier, like it's a, it's focusing on helping an individual flourish and especially business coaching where there's so much pressure and it can become really challenging. Um, so what I started doing was integrating some of these tools from my own practice, <clears throat> excuse me, into my coaching practice and I found that there were fantastic results. And so that's what motivated me to write the book, um, to make it accessible to people. Uh, it was intentionally very short and it's only 130 pages. It's intentionally made for, you know, a non-specialist, somebody that can just pick up the book and, and wants to apply these tools in daily life. And so that was my main motivation. Okay. And, and so in the book, you know, there, you've got to divide it into chapters and we, we talk about different topics in each chapter and what one of the things that I liked is that you have an exercise at the end of each chapter. So, you know, how do you put this into practice? And, and oftentimes, you know, that involves meditation and reflection and, you know, I've watched movies and stuff and, but I've never been someone who meditates. So um, to me, it just, I, I wonder, are you trying to imagine blackness or static from late night TV after the signal's gone off? Like, like what, what is meditation? Because I know there's a lot of people in my audience who probably don't know. Sure. 
actually meditation is it's quite simple so meditation is just there's a there's infinite possibilities for what you can meditate upon right but the actual act of meditating is very simple it's just being aware of an object of focus and then noticing when you um drift off from that and then coming back to it right so like a very simple meditation that most people learn is like focusing on their breathing so you're, you're aware of the sensation of your breathing and then you notice eventually that you go your mind wanders and then you bring it back um there and then it can be more complex meditations you can meditate on lights or energy or it can be even mundane so you could have a pebble and just notice the pebble and be completely ingrained in that pebble um, or ingressed in that pebble and then notice when you're away and then come back. And the goal of med meditation, aside from like spiritual goals, right? Where, so, so what's happened is meditation is um, a technology and then it became incorporated in these spiritual traditions. And even in the West too, it's incorporated in spiritual traditions through repetitive prayer and things like that. And so they're using meditation for a, a spiritual goal. But actually meditation in and of itself is fairly neutral, right? So, so you can meditate on just the stone and eventually you're going to get to a place where you're in a sort of absorption with the stone. And it, it doesn't happen very often with people in ordinary life, but where it does happen is right around um, certain kinds of sports. So like uh, I have a lot of clients who are skiers or snowboarders and they'll often talk about being, becoming one with the snowboard and their mind is not empty. It's like totally focused on what it is that they're doing. And it feels very um, almost like blissful. And so they're going down the mountain and they're in the zone. Athletes talk about that also. So the idea with meditation is to be able to get into the zone, quote unquote, at will. And so that's, that's the basis of it. And then applying that to spiritual practice is a whole different subject. Okay. So would, would some people also maybe use the term flow state if they're talking about maybe being productive and working in this kind of mindset? Yeah. So flow state. So the idea with flow state is that you're in a state where the, the ordinary chatter of your mind is kind of quieted and then you're completely engrossed in what you're doing, completely absorbed in what you're doing. And meditation is teaching you how to do that when you're just sitting doing something completely boring, like watching your breathing. Right. So that's so it's almost like the training that goes into it. Okay. And, and I was just about to use the word training. So it's, it's, it's like practicing any skill, like just to be able to, to do it more readily and, and be more successful at it. Yeah. I, I tell my clients that it's similar to um, kind of strength training or maybe cardio training. And so you can do, let's say you're a soccer player and you go out and your, your cardio is weak and your strength is weak. You're not going to be a very good soccer player if you go out and it doesn't matter how many techniques that you have. But if you have, you know, high levels of strength training, high levels of cardio, then you got, and even if you learn a few techniques, you're going to be quite successful. So meditation is kind of like the strength training for the mind that allows you to then go on and do these more complex tasks. And for you, you know, maybe it's running a business, maybe it's managing, maybe it's, um, I don't know, I don't know, whatever, whatever your chosen activity is, it's going to benefit. Okay. Um, one, you know, one of the themes that I picked up when I was reading the book is this, this difference between things we know and things we believe and how these things get confused. Sometimes we, sometimes we think we know things that are actually beliefs and, and all the kinds of problems that this can create in our everyday lives because of how we're, how we're programmed essentially. Can, can you talk a little bit, can you address a little bit about what you talk about in the book about understanding how we get into the mental states we do because of these kinds of build, I, I guess they're more like pieces of programming code kind of in our brains from, from when we yeah. developed, right? 
Absolutely. You can think about it as pieces of programming. Uh, I like to talk about them as stories or narratives. Um, and what ends up happening is there's some kind of external stimulus. And then we create the story around that. And then with that story, there comes a lot of like emotion, right? It could be positive emotion, could be negative emotion. Sometimes we're not even aware that it's there. And then we operate out of that instead of actually responding to the reality that's outside of that's objectively occurring. Um, and so very often what happens is we're not, if we're not aware of those kinds of stories, they can limit us and we reach a sort of a glass ceiling and we don't really know it's there. We keep bumping up against it again and again and again. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, stories are also the things that get us to where we are currently, but we need to be able to understand them and to have some freedom to move within them and to transform them if we really want to get to the next level. And so that's where a lot of the mindset coaching comes in that I do. Um, you know, so I work with very successful entrepreneurs and, and they continue to do the same things in different ways without even realizing it. And so as a coach, it's part of my job to be able to hold the space for them to recognize those patterns and then to move beyond them. Mm. You know, it, it's interesting because I can recall um, an instance in my own life where, where I actually reflected upon this. And I think I made a change to, to one of those stories in, my, in myself because it was... Oh, it was almost 20 years ago now. No, it wasn't. It was about 12 years ago. I owned an apartment building and I owned a few at the time. And I got a call from a tenant in a basement apartment. And he said, Dave, I've got about three inches of water in my living room floor. And my, the bottom of my stomach physically tightened. Like it was like all of a sudden I was full of this anxiety and worry. And all I could think about was this is a catastrophe. And I didn't really know what to do. So I went over there and saw it. It was true. He wasn't lying to me. There, there was water in his living room floor. And I just, I thought to myself, you can't stay here. And I'm not quite sure what to do. So I just picked up the phone. I called my insurance agent. And I said, what do I do? And he just told me. He said, you want to do this, 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 and this, and this. And I'll send the guy and it'll, the ball will roll, right? And then a few weeks later, of course, the whole place has been ripped apart and contractors come in, they fix everything. And um, I had to pay a little deductible. But I was like, okay, so I, I was conscious of the fact about my reaction to the, to the phone message. And I thought it wasn't that bad. It was just a bunch of stuff I had to do. And I've learned a lot from this whole process. And it was about a year afterwards, something else happened. And I forget what the thing was, but I remember the reaction and the reaction was that same stomach tightening reaction, but I didn't feel anxious or that it was a catastrophe. My, my first thought was I'm about to engage in something new. What am I going to learn? And, and I, and I've, I've thought a lot about that over the years because it was, it was, like one of these stories that you talk about, about reprogramming or trying to create new associations of how we should be acting and behaving when things are happening to us. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly it. That's an excellent, excellent example. And, and you didn't, you're not saying that you didn't feel that initial anxiety. It's just that you, you were able to feel it as a sensation and say, okay, that's an indicator that I'm on the verge of learning something new or going to experience something new. And, I, and in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I have the resources to be able to get through this, whatever it is. Yeah. And impossibly to transform it for the good, right? 
And the irony is that it, it's in those exact times that we need to be as clear-headed as possible. And unfortunately, our anxiety, our worry, our panic sets in and, and it really hinders our way to move forward. And so that's, a, that's an excellent example of um, what we can do to be able to be able to use, use the tools of the mind to be aware of what's going on and then to recenter and then move forward in a positive way. So is, is that the goal of some of these practices uh, in order to, to train yourself to be, to be more chill, like to be more focused on, 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 on just like, Hey, cool down. Like, what are we going to do about this? Let's stay focused. And, you know, being present is a term I wrote down when I was going through the book. Um, yeah. that, that's one of the goals here, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a, it's interesting. Maybe I could, that could be the subtitle of my next book. Just be chill. Uh, um, yeah I I think that a big part of it is if you look at it in terms of stages the first stage is recognizing that there is a story right most people just walk through life and they say this isn't a story you know yours you may have a story but my my stuff is reality right I'm actually working off reality yours is a story so the first step is recognizing like actually most everything that we're experiencing is just based off this narrative um and then the second piece is being able to consciously choose whether that's serving you or not serving you. And in order to do that, you have to be what you're calling chill. So it really helps to have a certain kind of practice, even just like a daily two minute centering practice to be able to exercise that muscle. So that when the, when the, you get that call about the flooded basement or the flooded apartment or whatever, um, you're able to then go into that, like, okay, wait, I, I've experienced this before. I'm noticing that sensation in the pit of my stomach. I'm about to learn something new instead of going into kind of a panic mode, which I think many, many people do without realizing. Yeah. And, and that, that panic mode can kind of become an MO for a lot of people. You know, there's, there's an expression, uh, management by firefighting, right? And, and you, you, you picture these people that are trying to run a business or, or run a department in a big organization and all they're doing is waiting for the next problem to react to. Yeah, absolutely. One of my, I would say my top five favorite business books and even books about life is essentialism. And he talks about, you know, this urgent, this sense of urgency and it's like running around, like you said, firefighting. Um, and it's a little bit addictive. People get, I think, addicted to the rush. Of, of that and being able to like put out the fire and then you feel kind of successful. But when, what ends up happening in the long term is you're just completely spinning your wheels. And so you either end up in a kind of a burnt out state or you're definitely not pushing your business to the level that it could be, right? Cause you're not really focusing on the important things that are more long-term projects. Uh, yeah. And so the, the, I think that the best way to fight that is to start on the inside, right. And to, and to really reflect on, both your own stories and narratives about things and then your own practice. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's, that's kind of the whole gist of the book, right? It's about, it's about working on ourselves so that we can change what we perceive to be the boundaries or limits around us in our performance or, or our business's performance. Right. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. Um, and I think with that comes a certain sense of responsibility, right? If we're, if we're responsible for creating our own experience, then, you know, it's up to us to be able to, to shift it into what we want it to be. Um, but the good news is that it's actually, if you can do that mindset shift, there's some really fantastic results that can come very quickly, right? As opposed to like, if there are actual structural hindrances, those can take a lot of time to overcome. But if it's like, wow, I could just shift my mindset 
I mean, that's why some of my clients that I work with, they experience this huge jump in revenue over just a, a few months. And it really comes down to like, if I just shift my mind and like, look at the market a little bit differently, there's this huge opportunity that's like right in front of my face. And I have the apparatus to move forward quite quickly. And it's interesting that you, you bring up the word responsibility, you know, because with, with greater, you know, you know, I don't know, like yeah. in the Spider-Man, well, Spider-Man. Yeah. Spider-Man <laughs> great power. Yeah. Responsibility comes with it. He wasn't responsible as uncle got shot or whatever, depending on which mm-hmm. movie you watch. But, um, but I think that people who are drawn to be entrepreneurs who are drawn to the world of business are people who are reaching for the greater responsibility anyway, because they want to be the person who is, who's in charge, who's, who's doing these things, who's creating, you know, through the business. And, you know, I, I, um, a lot of the times I talk about what a business is and, and people like to look at machinery, equipment, buildings, retail stores, but that's not what a a business is a system where people Mm -hmm. and capital operate together to, to serve the needs of people. And there's nothing is so more fragile than a system, right? You know, there's so many different things can go wrong. So it's, it's a real work of artistry for someone to be able to create a, a business or, or be past a business if they buy one, you know, from one hand, set of hands to another, and then to keep everything going. I mean, these people are looking for responsibility and having the control, you know, to work on their, on their focus, their presentness, their, their power um, is definitely one of the key things that I think is going to be helpful for a lot of these people. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. what do you, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, please. Oh, okay. Well, I was just, I was wondering if you could describe, you know, sort of the ideal person who's going to get the biggest bang for their buck in picking up this book, what would that person look like? It's the person that I wrote it specifically for people that have already experienced a level of success. Right. This isn't a kind of pull yourself up from the bootstraps sort of book. It's like, yeah, things are going fairly well. Um, but the things that I've been doing for the past 10 years, 20 years, maybe my whole life are now becoming um, very predictable in terms of the results. And I know deep down and in, inside somewhere that I'm able to get to this higher level or, or do bigger things. And I'm just not quite able to get there. And so that's who the book is written for. And um, there's some very, hopefully it's written in a way that, you know, the, there's very practical exercises and that anybody without any training can pick it up and, and find some value in it, even if it's just reflecting kind of on the nature of what we've been talking about today, just stories and limitations and power and possibilities. Um, and that's who it's mostly geared toward. Hmm. Well, uh, I'll tell you, um, I enjoyed it. And one of the things that I personally have a challenge with is the is the idea of being present. Um, not because I'm not aware of what's going on, but because I tend to always be thinking and living in the future. You know, where, where am I going? What's the purpose of this? What is the goal? Like future, future, future. And the, you know, working on pausing to sort of appreciate the moment and what we're trying to do in this, just this present spot um, I think is something that, you know, I need to work on and, and I found some of the stuff in your book very useful. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate that you took this time to read it. Um, it it's not, I want to caution listeners. It's not necessarily that you want to toss out, <coughs> excuse me, you want to toss out 
thinking about the future because that's really important, right? Especially for a successful entrepreneur, you have to be goal driven and there have to be hopefully metrics that are that go into that. Um, but it's if you're not if you're constantly living in the future, what happens is you lose some of your effectiveness quite a bit actually. Your possibility to maneuver and be creative and be resourceful and find these new ways to thrive in the present. And what I talk about um, with my clients, I have a, a bit of a background dabbling in martial arts. And of course, I know what I want to do. If I'm grappling with somebody, I know I want to throw the guy, right? Throw mm -hmm. my opponent. So I kind of, I, I do have a sense of the future. I have to be present to what's currently happening to be able to sense where he's off balance and where he's not open. I mean, if you, it's very, if you've ever done anything like martial arts and you go up against an opponent and you, you see them thinking about what they want to do and they're kind of fixated on this one particular technique and then they get stuck in it. In it. And it's very easy to overcome them because they're like, I'm going to force this my way. Right. And it doesn't, it doesn't really work. And instead what you're trying to do is get to a sense of presence that allows for that flow. And then there's this opening all of a sudden. And it, if you're watching it from the outside, it almost seems like magic. Right. I mean, I've seen teachers many times where it's like, how did that, how did he throw that guy? Like it's, it just, it seemed almost impossible with like the slightest movement. And so the idea is that through this power of the presence of mind, you're able to find those insights that, that escape most people. It's interesting because you, you sound a little bit, and when you're talking about the, when you're talking about the martial art um, match, you're, you're talking, you're reminding me of something that one, a sales trainer I once had was talking about. And what he was saying is that you can't go into a, you know, and he was teaching us B2B sales techniques and he said, you can't go into the call with the idea of what you're going to sell to them because that's just prejudicing the situation. You're just, you're painting what you want onto them. And, you know, you have to go in there listening, you know, you, you have to get them to talk and then you listen. And then if, if you can somehow figure out how, what you have will fix that problem for them, that will, they're going to buy it from you. Because they need a solution yeah. to that problem, right? <laughs> no, that, that's beautiful. That's exactly it. It's funny because I have one client. Um, he's a coach, and I, I don't work with too many coaches, but he—that's what he's working on—is how to sell, essentially, to it's B two B. Yeah. And that you know, it, instead of going in and saying like, "Here are all the features and benefits," right, right off the bat, it's like listen really deeply to the problem and come from that space of like, "I want to help you with your whatever your pain point is," and it that help may not be you. Right. It may just be like, Hey, look, you know, here's somebody else that does something similar or, or whatever it is. And you have to be open-minded to that. And then what happens is somehow people respond to that and, and you end up a much better salesperson. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, well, Nick, let's, uh, let's wind things up. Tell us a little bit uh, more about the book, how we can get it. And if there are any other further resources that, that people can access online, if they want to learn some more about this kind of stuff from you. Yeah, thank you. So the book is called Shifts, The Art of Transforming Limitations. The easiest way to get it is on Amazon, um, available through most other websites. Uh, you can check out more about my work and what I do at geekinphd.com. Um, and you can send me an email there and I'm, I tend to be pretty responsive. So thank you. And David, thanks again. This has been a really, really great experience. Well, no, I'm glad to have you on because I did enjoy it. And I think it's going to be useful to a lot of people. So Shift, The Art of Transforming Limitations by Nick Egan on Amazon. And uh, thanks, Nick. And we'll talk to you next time. Yeah, thank you. Take care.